quite dead. A Gal Pal Horror Movie Discussion Podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies. And sometimes we just keep it shallow. I'm your host, Megan. I'm Kate. Get ready for all the spoilers. So, I remember reading a bunch of articles when this movie came out, and a lot of people were just singing its praises, like it was the most scary movie they had seen in forever. I had the same experience. Um, I remember being really hyped to see this movie when it came out, because it was being pushed as like an indie movie that had, I think it had a limited release in theaters, because I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters when it came out, and... Um, there was a ton of really positive, uh, critical reviews for it. Um, it was like, oh, this indie darling masterpiece of like modern horror with this like interesting concept. Which it is. It's a pretty cool concept. It's a really cool concept, but I think that the actual execution on it is fine. Yeah, it didn't wow me and I didn't find myself getting creeped out the same way with with some of these other movies we've talked about um I thought it was cool it was like a really interesting new take on Final Destination I let I really love the concept I think the the kind of curse via sex concept is cool and has like a nice like a more adult edge to it like I know a lot of horror movies especially it feels like post 2000 kind of were geared more towards PG-13 than like hard R yeah. Um, and so I appreciate like a movie that's willing to just be like, no, this is an adult concept and we're going to, we're just going to take it there. And I think that they do a good job of, of building um, some dread and some anxiety into the movie, but I don't find it creepy or particularly scary. And I find it a little long for what the concept is. Yeah. There's a few parts where it does start to drag a little bit. I love all the sex that they have, though, in the movie. They have some pretty good sex scenes, which is great. Parking lot sex is, like, the best sex. I don't know if you've (laughs) ever had it, Kate, (laughs) but it's great. (laughs) It's so iconic because, like, they in the trailers and in the poster, it's all oriented around that car, which is just, like, you know something bad's going to happen in that car. And honestly, I think that the scariest moment in the movie is after – Jay and her guy that she's dating, Hugh, have sex in the car. She's just kind of like lazing, like half out the car, kind of playing with a flower. And he just comes up behind her <laughs> and chloroforms her. And it's it's like, yeah, she, yeah that's terrifying. Because I was like, yeah, that's, that's like unexpected and horrifying for someone that you just had sex with to do this to you. Yeah, that part... Um... When that part happened, I, you know, the first time I saw this, I was like, oh, this is a, a rape movie. That's interesting. I wasn't, wasn't seeing it going there. I mean, that ends up not being the case, but that you're right. That probably was the most startling point in the movie for me as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, poor girl. She just had this really great parking lot sex and now she's being strapped to a wheelchair. <sighs> yeah. And that is just so unnerving, I guess, or just like him yelling at her from across like an abandoned parking garage like I'm not gonna hurt you even though she's tied to like a 
a wheelchair. I feel like the beginning of the movie is um, pretty quick at establishing what the concept is and like showing you right off the bat that this threat of this curse is real and will kill you in a really gruesome way. Um, and so I like, I like that the setup is so quick, but then I think that because the concept is, um, there is an entity of some sort only seen by you, um, that, that once you have sex with someone who has this curse, passes it onto you, they follow you very slowly. And then when they finally catch up with you, they kill you in a pretty horrible way. Yes, I love that. Um, it's not quite the opening scene, but it's the end of the opening scene where the first girl in this mess that we meet ends up with her leg like broken over her head on the beach. She's like laying it all contorted, really crazy. And I was just like, "Ooh, I love this. I hope there's more of this." And <laughs> I don't really think there was. Not yeah. There's really not. It's kind of like they kind of like blew their gore load like right in the beginning um and then otherwise they're just like we're gonna go for atmosphere and tension we're not gonna go for gore anywhere else yeah not gore but there is that really disturbing scene where the kid is basically being raped by his dead mother or like an aberration that looks like his mother with her tit hanging out oh my god that was so gross yeah that's like just kind of psychologically horrifying I yeah. I wish that we had like seen his mom a little bit more before that because when he opened the door I was like who's this woman and then he's like mom and it's like oh I guess that's supposed to be his mom I don't really think they had established that well beforehand the other aberration where I was confused about who that person was I think was the old lady coming towards Jamie at school was that yeah. supposed to be her grandparent or just some random old lady I, thought, I assumed it was a random lady because of the way she responded to it. The way that she kind of called out like hello to it in a very questioning way and not like when she saw um, Greg's mom, she was like Mrs. Greg's mom, <laughs> you know, when she saw, <laughs> I don't remember their name, but like when yeah, she I saw her, she sees it appear to her as her friend at one point, And it looks like Yara. Mm -hmm. And it feels like when, when it's someone that they know, when it appears as someone that they know, they kind of recognize it. But then there's, there's times where they're like, does anyone see that girl? Does anyone see that yeah. person coming near us? So I assumed yeah. the grandma, the grandma person was just like a random old lady. I was a little confused about that just because it was juxtaposed next to this scene where they show her looking at a, photo of her and her grandparents and I was like oh is that supposed to be her grandmother because she seems very afraid of her grandmother <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe she figured it out and it probably wasn't her grandmother but anyway I mean maybe I'm getting a little old but the whole time during this movie I was like where are these kids parents they the neighbors um are kind of looking through the window at one point towards their house and one of them goes that family's a mess. And so I yeah. was like, and so I was like, okay. And every time we see the mom, she's always like just killed a full bottle of wine by herself. <laughs> yes. So I was like, all right, mom's not really in the picture. And then dad is just gone. Like he's just not around. And then their friend, Greg, he kind of seems to have more of the like yuppie privilege of like, we have money and my mom just kind of trusts me to like take the car for a couple days if I need to, like yeah. that kind of situation. But they're very lawless. Like they're just kind of this like this roving gang of teenagers. Just very kind of, well behaved. 
Yeah, they're pretty good. Like the worst that they do is have sex and that's normal. Like the the girl who has sex, I think that they're all over 18 because Jamie, who they call Jay sometimes, she's in college. And so I was like, yeah, there should be no stigma around her having sex with her boyfriend or having yeah. or having like a one night stand or something. Like that's like pretty normal behavior. Like it's not like they're a bunch of like 15-year-olds like running around having sex. Which is fine too. Yeah, anyway. it's fine. It's fine. Just like <laughs> if we're thinking in terms of like a broader social right. like stigma, like no, they're old. That's they're old. Really not part sex. of this movie. Yeah. yeah. Are we having the same thought? We are. For our mini-sode, I really wanted to kind of dig into um, the concepts that we've got here, this curse passed via sex, and what the heck does it mean? What does it mean, Megan? <laughs> yeah, why is it Why is it a curse? You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, we talked about this already, but you, you have sex with somebody, presumably a stranger. I think that's sort of talked about in this movie and and you pass along your disease or your your std or whatever and there's obviously a stigma that comes with that you know that's that's not something anybody wants that's and and if you knowingly do it you're looked down upon even worse um but you're right these people aren't young it's not really clear why there's a stigma of of having casual sex i'm not sure what the message is with it but yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Just why why is this curse just targeting general sex? Yeah, I don't know if it's trying to look at our cultural attitudes towards sex writ large or if it's more about um, like STDs um, or the kind of shame and stigma around that. I think if you take the metaphor as it being about an STD, You've got a chain of people who, um, every time they have sex with someone new, um, they're passing this curse on to the next person. And that means that they're one degree away from being killed by this apparition. And the only way to get rid of the apparition is to have sex with someone else and then pass the curse on to that person. And then you're free as long as that person doesn't die. Right. And so I think the the death aspect here and that you have this like specter looming over your life that could come back to kill you if it if it's killing up the chain of people that you've slept with really reads like an HIV AIDS like type story that's one element of this curse right the curse eventually will kill you kind of like you know an STD going untreated could but then there's this other element of the curse that is it doesn't really directly tie to how diseases behave. And that is that you're okay. As long as you pass it on to someone else, you're not going to die from it. As long as it keeps going and keeps looking after the next person, you'll, you'll get off, you'll be fine. And so I think that part of the metaphor is more about the emotional side of carrying the weight of an STD, right? Or knowing that you're mm-hmm. sick or, or going to die. And so by passing it on, you're, you're not, you're not really alone in it anymore. And so I'm wondering if that's part of the metaphor as well. Yeah. Like lessening the shame by sharing it 
in a way by, you know, acknowledging that there is a community of people who suffer from the same thing, right? I mean, there is, I think that there's a lot to be said about kind of like shared communal experience and how that makes you feel better about things. I think we've all like talked about like, uh, most embarrassing things happening to us or worse things happening to us. And then someone shares their story and it's even worse or it's similar to yours. And you're like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. And so that makes me feel, it makes me feel okay. And it makes me feel like I can distance myself from it. Yeah. I I loved how the, how Jamie had friends helping her out. You were talking about community earlier and um, her friends are just like, yeah, we're going to help you. We don't have parents anyways. So let's just tag along (laughs) for the weekend, go wherever we want. Um, Yeah, they're all, they're all in. Um, And she has not one, but both of her male friends totally like martyr themselves um, to try and take this curse off of her. Greg, unfortunately, the first one, um, he, he, uh, he doesn't really take it seriously. Yeah. And she says that she's like, she was like, I thought that he would be okay because he didn't take it seriously. So there's maybe something about like safety there and like, like if it is about like disease and like taking it seriously. It waited a while to come after him. It did. Yeah. It, it took its time. Her, it felt like around her, as soon as it had killed someone, it would come back to her. And she tried, the characters in these movies, like they try interesting things to try and like get this curse to shut off of them and onto someone else. There's a that implication that she maybe has a threesome with three random guys on a boat. Yeah. Um, that was gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I felt girl. so bad for her. Yeah, yeah she's, she's crying in the car as she drives home. And it's like next day, the apparition back. is back. And so it's like, yeah, these guys just probably ate it also. <laughs> I think it's so funny when they go to the pool and they they try these very mortal ways of killing an apparition. And I'm just like, why do you think this is going to work? Why do you think shooting an apparition is going to work? Why do you think electrocuting an apparition is going to work? <laughs> And they've done stuff like that before. Like they've definitely shot one before and they see that it just kind of comes right back up. It changes form. It changes shape. Um, It can get bigger to get through a door. It can get smaller to get through a hole. Like it's not of this world. It's a supernatural thing. And I do appreciate that they don't find like a clever way to get around it. They just uh, learn to live with it, which maybe that's part of the metaphor too. Yeah. I was wondering about that as well. Like once, uh, she is sort of settles on Paul and now they're dating and they seem to care for each other. Does it keep its distance? Are they able to outpace it forever? I don't know. Yeah. We get that closing shot of something walking behind them. Is it an apparition? Is it a person? I mean, this movie is so full of, like heightened paranoia about any person or thing walking suspiciously yeah. near you sl- slowly um, <laughs> is uh, is potentially going to kill you. Um, and so I like that it's a little ambiguous that maybe because they've accepted that it's their fate, that, they're, that they'll just kind of live in its shadow, but it won't actually kill them. Or maybe it will eventually catch up to them. Who knows? Yeah. Or they'll just like run around their whole lives asking people if they're real or not. What a, what a life. So I don't love authorial 
intent, like I think authorial intent is important, but I think sometimes directors or writers will say like, oh, I know it really seemed like I was writing a movie about this thing, but I was actually writing a movie about this completely other thing. It would be really hard to pick up Mm -hmm. on. Um, But the the director, the director, yeah, the director was like, I read um, in an interview with him um, while kind of researching for this movie that he said like, yeah, it's about, it's about sex and paranoia about sex and, and love and how love kind of impacts you. And he was like, but really I was trying to make um, a movie that was just like a, like a nightmare, like that didn't always make sense. And just you, like you could figure out some of the rules and try and play within the rules of the nightmare, but because it's a nightmarish, nightmarish situation that, that it just isn't always going to make sense. And so that's what he says about it. And I'm like, man, but there's so much layered in here about sex and shame and trauma and um, friendship and that I I find it a little lacking that that's what he was going that for. That explanation just seems very empty. Um, it doesn't seem like, I mean, he's a director. I'm not like going to tell the director he's wrong or whatever, but like that doesn't really encompass all of the structural motifs we have going on, all of the the things that we have on the screen to think about. Are we supposed to believe that that's all just random? You know, it's, <laughs> I, I yeah, think there's more to it I, than the director is letting on. And I don't, I don't know. It seems like odd to me that he would shy around some of these ideas. I totally agree because I think that the other kind of big piece of this movie because the con- the concept of the movie is what's really driving the movie. There's not like a ton of like super interesting plot to like end up work through. It's just these kids are just trying to find ways to help their friend break this curse. Um, but they do some interesting set design that makes it hard to tell what time period this movie takes place in. Yes. And and all of these choices are deliberate. I mean, some of them are very deliberate. Some of them are just like, sure, maybe that's just the cars that were available in the neighborhood. But some of them seem way too deliberate to be just something thrown in there to make it seem confusing or surreal. I kind of, in my notes, I, I started to track this a little bit. Um, I, I started grouping things into decade and it just seemed like there were quite a few things just from all over the place. Um, and some things that were even timeless, they, they didn't exist in real life. They kind of were a representation of something we all recognize. Um, so it was really hard to place this movie, even though in certain moments it seems like, oh, well, they have cell phones. So obviously it's not the seventies. Um, but, but then all of their TVs are like, only 60s or 70s style TVs. And that's all they watch. (laughs) Yeah. And they only watch black and white television. Yeah. I also picked up on these old cereal boxes when, when uh, Jamie was practicing shooting, they were showing, they had some fake cereal, but they also had this really old ass box of Kellogg's cornflakes. And I was like, you don't just have these old boxes lying around unless you collect them for some reason. And then you wouldn't be shooting it. Right. I don't know. 
Totally. No. And I think that the movie theater scene where it's a movie theater, they are going to go see a Cary Grant movie. Uh, the theater itself has very old fashioned, like like 1930s or 40s, like style old fashioned seats. They have a live piano player there to play music to accompany the movie, which is like not been a thing for no. decades at this point. I think I've been um, to one in maybe Pasadena where there was a dude playing piano before the movie, but then it stopped before the movie started. Like it was sort of like this old timey throwback thing. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, I could write it off that way. But yeah, you're right. There's just so many other elements with the theater where it feels like I can't tell what time period this is. But they all dress like they all dress like it's the mid 2000s. Like their their clothes are pretty modern um, around the neighborhood. They've got cars that are in the 2000s. The school seems very like the college scene seems pretty modern. Like all the other kids are dressed like it's the 2000s. So it's very just all over the place in terms of certain elements are out of time. Like they're more 60s, 70s, 80s, even earlier than that. Yeah. And and obviously, you know, we all have our own collections of memories and pieces that are, you know, not from this decade, but it just felt like they really were making a point of featuring those items. Um, we also saw some Polaroids hanging out you know like that's those are the pictures that Jamie has up in her room I don't know a lot of people with Polaroid cameras these days there's a few hobbyists that I know but it that that's that I thought was interesting they're playing with these old maid cards too that look really really retro the one futuristic piece that just like throws such a wrench in so much of this is their her shell e-reader yeah what is that it's also so it's so Yara the friend has this little flip phone looking thing but it's shaped like a seashell like a classic seashell and she's reading Dostoevsky's The Idiot on it only so that she can drop choice quotes when needed yeah, in the movie. It's pretty great. Um, <laughs> um and uh she can also there's also a flashlight function on it so I was like okay maybe it is just like a regular cell phone or an e-reader type thing that's got some extra features on it. But it's so much of an outlier to everything else in the movie because you've got a lot of 2000 stuff and then a lot of very retro, old-fashioned, antique type things. And then you've got this like random piece of like fairly futuristic, non-existent technology. Yeah, I was looking up pictures of the shell reader because I wanted to put it in our sticker this week. And so many, there were so many articles written about this shell reader you know so many people wanted it (laughs) it was just like such a cool little thing in the movie that didn't exist and I don't think ever will it's one of those pieces in this movie where there were specific choices to include the shell phone and the old cereal boxes and all of that do you have any interpretations of why they might have done this I have to imagine that it's so that the movie doesn't ever become dated. I I think it's, to me, it makes it feel more like, oh, this is just a timeless problem. I mean, the, the STD that we're, we have a scare about changes over time, but sex has always been this weird boogeyman in 
you know, American culture, especially with people the, this age and, and high school kids and stuff. And I, I think uh, it's just something that our culture has a lot of ambiguous feelings on. Um, so I, it, it, I kind of see it as a way to keep the movie timeless. I totally agree. I think it's trying to make it into like a myth style where it's like timeless can happen anywhere to anyone. It feels a little like, like urban legend almost. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, oh, my, my sister's high school, high school best friend's cousin had sex with a guy and um, the next day she died. Yeah. Like it feels like one of those like telephone style stories that you tell at a sleepover party that just kind of exists outside of reality. So I think, yeah, it's timeless. It's like an American kind of urban legend style story. So I think that they're just having fun with like, okay, what like elements can we throw in here to make it a little confusing about where, where it takes place when it takes place. We have a promotion going um, for this season. We are giving away a free sticker with every episode. Um, all you have to do is listen to the episode, listen for the special question. It's usually at the end of the episode and answer it on our Instagram page and share the post. It's pretty easy. And then we'll send you a free sticker. So our question for this week's episode is what is the scariest apparition in the movie? Oh, that's a good one. I I think I know my answer already. Do you have your answer? I have I have an answer that I think is the scariest, but I also have a backup answer for something that the more I think about it, the scarier <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> All right, I'll let you keep chewing and I'll go with mine okay. first. Um, yeah. I thought the tall, I, I called him like Lanky Frankenstein, um, that tall ass man with like no eyes. He freaked me out. He came in through their their room in that one scene and no one else can see him. And she jumps out the window. Like, I was like, that's terror right there. She is afraid. And he is scary. The eyes thing is is always going to get me. Um, just some like dark holes where your eyes should be. And, uh, and he's so tall. He's so scary. And actually, that was the one where I was like, I think that that one's the scariest one. So I, I agree with you. I think that he's so big and because it seems like it only turns into that form when it can't get to you when it's like we need something stronger with a longer stride like we're not gonna run but we're gonna run faster (laughs) (laughs) my my backup was um the fact that the apparition can take any form and that it takes the form of their parents sometimes so when it shows up as Greg's mom and it's so horrifying because it kills you by having sex with you to death. Yeah. So it's showing up as Greg's mom. And then when they're at the pool, it shows up as uh, Paul's dad. It turns into Paul's dad at one point. Right. And I just think that that's ugh, like on multiple levels. Like I don't even want to think about it too much because I'm just like, it's really scary and super gross and I hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because that was my backup for the answer. I was like, yeah, yes. it's so the thought of being raped to death by my own father. Like, I don't even like saying it. It's just, I don't either. It's horrifying. I, I, I want to like drop it. And move on. Yeah, like, like, yeah, I think that that might win. Actually, it's like too gross. <laughs> we don't even want to talk about it. 
Yeah, it's it's like a funny like mix of like when you're watching the movie, you're like, oh yeah, there's some actual terror from this giant Frankenstein creature. And then there's like a lingering psychological <laughs> trauma that you get from thinking about the other characters yeah. it shows up as. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> so. So. Yeah. <laughs> we made that pretty easy for you guys. Yeah. If you agree with one of our choices or if you've seen the movie yourself and I don't know, you think the girl in the yellow dress is the scariest, um, go ahead and drop it in our comments on Instagram uh, and get yourself a sticker. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at notquitedeadpodcast. And follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Happy watching. Thank you.